and welcome to a market manipulation episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. And don't you worry, we're not shorting or squeezing anyone here. We're just getting ready to talk about a little bit of basketball in our second edition of the NBA Stock Report. Uh, and here with me is financial analyst and basketball savant, Mr. Frank Flacco. How are you doing? Doing great, Rotom, as always. It is January 29th. We're half, halfway through winter, somehow, some way. Been a lot of talk about stocks in the news recently for obvious reasons, so there's no better time to record our second stock report edition for the NBA than right now. No, there's really not, Frank, and while there's no GME in the NBA, uh, there is one team that is flying straight up stock reports, uh, a team that started out definitely a top 10 team, but is now finding its wealth pretty cemented itself in to the championship conversation in the Western Conference. And that, of course, is the hottest team in the NBA at the moment on a 10-game win streak. We'll see by the end of this recording if they'll hit 11 as they play the Dallas Mavericks later tonight. Uh, but, you know, number three in points allowed, the number one team in the NBA at the moment, the 14-4 and four Utah Jazz. A great team uh, in Utah. Frank, what, what's your first thoughts about this team and uh, how high they've been rolling? Well, it's not surprising that they're good. Uh, I think we both expected the Jazz to be uh, a playoff team this year in the West, and how could you not? Because that's exactly what they've been for the better part of the last three to four years. But I think they've exceeded my expectations for sure, and I think everyone's expectations at this point with how good they've been. And if you had said through 18 games into the season that they would be the best team in the West and the best overall team in the NBA, I would have said that you were crazy. But it's an unprecedented season, and I think that the consistency and the continuity that the Jazz had going into the season has really worked into their favor. And that's kind of been the talking point of the season, right? We knew that there was going to be a lot of uncertainty, and the teams with good veteran coaches and veteran rosters that had experience playing with each other before, uh, those teams might have a bit of an advantage. And up and down the league, you see that in some with some teams and other teams, not so much. But with the Jazz, whether it's those factors, whether it's just talent, whether it's coaching or whether it's a combination of all of those factors, which, frankly, I think it is. They're definitely one of the best teams in the NBA right now. And it goes without saying that with a 14 and four record, their stock is at an all time high. It is, and you listed quite a great com combination of reasons there, but I think no one should look further than the guy at the end of the bench for the reason why this team is excelling. Uh, my early season pick, I'll uh, gloat that a little bit, but Quinn Schneider absolutely should be the favorite at the moment for Coach of the Year because he's turned a team that was kind of questionable a lot on offense, you know, really just pushing the ball through Donovan Mitchell and seeing what you get on side, into an analytics dream. All this team does is shoot from five feet away, or from three-point land. In fact, this team, which is stocked with three-point shooters and has been for quite a few years, is taking an unrealistic amount of threes. 47.1% of their shots are coming from three-point land, and they're knocking down 40% of them. In fact, the only player that is shooting worse than 40% that has attempted at least 60 shots, and they have six of those guys, is arguably their best shooter, Bojan Bogdanovic. And again, this is their worst shooter at the moment, and he's shooting 374 
that's that's ridiculous and that is exactly what the modern nba requires and the fact that they have so many guys available on the court like bogdanovich like the all-star donovan mitchell george niang joe ingles jordan clarkson mike conley royce o'neill guys that just are ungodly at the moment from sniping from deep is one of the reasons that it's kind of hard to see how this team is going to be stopped in a playoff situation because no one here can be doubled, and it's the reason why this team shoots more uncontested threes than any other team in the league. And it's by design that Quinn Schneider hands the ball off to Donovan Mitchell, and then you've got a questionable defense because you either have to put one man, whoever your best defender is, on him, and you're leaving guys like Ingles and Bogdanovich, Clarkson, Conley just wide open. It's it's impossible, and it's not just the reason that they shoot so many uncontested threes. They're amazing at doing it. The top two guys in the NBA shooting uncontested threes are Mitchell and Joe Ingles, and they're converting those threes at over 60%. Now, it, take, it doesn't take much of a mathematician to understand that all of this adds up to the team that is the best at shooting the three ball is better than the team that is the best at shooting the two ball, which happens to be thus Lange's Lakers, which is what a revelation. Yeah, it's quite a revelation. And it's going to be the mathematical formula that's going to see the Jazz pretty much play their way into one of the best teams for the rest of the season. Because in a seven game series, shooting gets streaky. And we've seen that with the Rockets and pretty much any other team that's built in a similar fashion. But in the regular season, much like the Rockets of three years ago, I think this team has very good possibility to end up being the best team of the West at the end of the season and could very easily be playing in the Western Conference Championship to decide uh, who goes and represents in the finals. Yeah, I get where you're coming from uh, with that sentiment. I don't know if I would go quite as far to say as I'm buying them as potentially the best team in the West. Obviously, once you get into the postseason, anything can happen. But I still think, you know, with teams like the Lakers, and the Clippers and the Nuggets still in the mix. Uh, it's not going to be an easy road for the Jazz. But right now, uh, they are atop the standings. And you have to give credit where credit is due. And we knew that they were going to be a good defensive team this year. Because they are every year. And they're fourth in the NBA in defensive rating. But the biggest surprise, I think, is everything you just laid out with how potent they've been offensively. It wasn't hard to foresee them being a competent or above average offensive team given the guys they have, like Donovan Mitchell and Bogdanovich and Mike Conley. But the fact that they rank fifth in the NBA in offensive rating and they're number three in point differential at 7.8. I mean, they're just not they're not just squeaking by teams, right? They're getting convincing wins and they're on a roll. I mean, 10 wins in a row. You don't usually see winning streaks like that very often. I'm not sure when it's going to end. Maybe it ends tonight as we're speaking. But either way... Jazz are playing high-level basketball on both ends of the floor. And I would buy stock in this team right now to continue being one of the best teams in the West and being one of the best teams in the league until further notice. Yeah, absolutely. And that stock, I like I mentioned earlier, and it sounds like you're not quite agreeing with that sentiment, but I think that stock extends all the way up to their conference, their odds to win the conference at a plus 1,000. Currently, they're at plus, minus 150 to win their own division, which is seeming quite likely. Uh, with the Trailblazers starting off pretty weak and the Nuggets not playing too hot of basketball at the moment. Uh, but yeah, I think that plus 1,000 to take. And like I've started it off saying with a man himself, Quinn Schneider, uh, plus 650 for Coach of the Year. It's going to be hard to take that away from Frank Vogel. He's been doing a phenomenal job with AD and LeBron James not playing as many minutes. But at the end of the day, this team, like the Mavericks of last year, on a historical rate of just perfect, efficient, analytical basketball. Um, so that plus 650 is great. If I may shift over to one more guy, another quick prediction that I also called so far 
Sixth Man of the Year, mm. current frontrunner, Mr. Jordan Clarkson. Uh, he was one of those guys that I listed as one of the best shooters. He's their second leading scorer at 17.9 points per game. Uh, he's the best player on their team uh, per PER at 21.73, which is six over the league average, uh, which puts him at seventh best player in the NBA at the moment. Uh, that is playing over 20 minutes a game. Uh, 4.6 rebounds, 1.9 assists, 1.1 steals. He is a fulcrum of offense coming off the bench and a big reason why this 10-game win streak has happened, despite them coming a lot of players in and out of the lineup. Uh, so you've got great odds, not just for them to win the conference, for them to win their division, for their coach to win coach of the year, for their sixth man to win sixth man of the year. I'm sure Donovan Mitchell is getting some love uh, somewhere in that MVP race, uh, sitting at plus 10,000. Uh, defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, is plus 275. This is a team who has great stock written all over it from the top to the bottom, from the bench to the starters. Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, when you're a great basketball team and you're having a terrific season, uh, usually you see some individual recognition. You see guys near the top of the rankings in the, in the different award races, and you hit the nail on the head with Jordan Clarkson. I mean, that was your prediction before the season. And he's minus 125 to win six-man right now. And second place is Chris Boucher and Shake Milton, who are plus 700. So there's a wide gap between Clarkson and the rest of the field. And it's hard to see that changing for the foreseeable future. I mean, if you're an 18-point-per-game scorer on the best team in the NBA, you're going to get recognition, and he is. And Quinn Snyder as well, plus 650. I know Frank Vogel is ahead of him like you said, but Vogel won the award last year, and Quinn Snyder has been one of the best coaches in the league, I think, for several years now, and he's yet to win Coach of the Year. So because it's largely a narrative award to a certain extent, if the Jazz continue to roll, and obviously this is looking way down the line, uh, Quinn Snyder has to be considered in the driver's seat for Coach of the Year. If you can get it at plus 650 now, I think that's a good bet, and I would take advantage of that number before it drops if the Jazz continue to win. Yeah, and like we mentioned, the Mavs game going on right now, and if they could push to 11-game win streak, it would be absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but we move it on, Frank, after we bought both of the top stock. Our second-tier stock here, our AMC, not quite GME, but uh, we got to keep going on here with a team that's on a five-game win streak. Uh, you know them from defense, as they've been one of the best teams for the entire decade, near and dear to my heart, Frank. It's the Memphis Grizzlies, currently sitting at 7-6, and six, freshly returned John Morant leading them onto this five-game win streak with the number two defense in the league and 26th in the association is probably the part that's going to hold them back. Uh, a team that has beaten quite a few solid ones, including the 76ers just the other night, though they were Sons, Joel Embiid. Uh, a team that wasn't really a pick for many to make the playoffs wasn't even my pick to make the playoffs in fact i took their under and uh i'm a beloved fan of this team so frank uh you had them just outside of your playoff conversation teams do you push that above or how much are you buying this team stock or are you not buying at all well i think i would hold with the grizzlies stock right now uh they're in a weird position i mean they're one game above 500 uh despite being without the services of their best player john morant like you said they still don't have Jaron Jackson. They still don't have Justice Winslow. And I think the job that the Grizzlies have done, uh, staying afloat without the services of those guys, has been commendable. And It's been an underrated storyline uh, during this season so far. And, and they've won five games in a row, again, like you said, on the strength of their defense. I mean, you can take Zach Randolph and you can take Tony Allen out of Memphis, 
but the grit and grind is clearly still there, and that's the culture in Memphis, as you know, Rotom, and it's on display once again. And they're playing 500 or one game above 500 basketball with kind of a random collection of players. I mean, guys like Dylan Brooks averaging 15 points a game, Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, Jonas Valanciunas, and then young guys stepping as stepping up as well, like Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain. It's an interesting group and kind of an odd collection of guys to put together. But somehow, some way, it's worked so far, and it has them playing at a winning percentage that would put them sixth in the Western Conference and 11th overall in the NBA. And granted, they've only played 13 games, and their point differential is minus 0.7. So if you ask me if I was buying them as the sixth best team in the Western Conference and the 11th best team in the NBA, I would say probably no. I think they're probably closer to being the ninth or 10th best team in the West in the 15th or 16th best team in the NBA. So I would hold stock on the Grizzlies for now because I want to see if they can keep this sort of momentum going um, or if it's kind of a flash in the pan, which uh, remains to be seen. But so far, there's certainly some things to be encouraged about. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of things to be encouraged about, uh, specifically for one of the main reasons you said was all of the like fresh faces that we're seeing on this team. And it was a big part of why I thought that the under was probably going to hit for this team is that we're seeing such important performances come out of guys like DeAnthony Melton, John Conchar, Gorgie Jang. Um, and that was a big reason of what I talked about, why I really enjoyed the Grizzlies offseason in our preseason uh, episode, was that it, it's fundamental to have the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th guy in your rotation be guys you can trust. And through the first half of the season, through all the corona, through all the postponements, uh, the Grizzlies, in fact, haven't played a basketball game in a week and a half. They'll be playing their first one tomorrow. Uh, knowing that we can depend on those guys is is huge. When John Morant is back on the floor and Jaron Jackson beside him, uh, and we already know we have a great guy in BC uh, in, in Brandon Clark, but it, it's just refreshing to know that when that guy's name has to be called up, when John Conchar has to step on the floor, when Grayson Allen has to step on the floor, it's dependable. A guy that's going to play defense, a guy that is winning games against playoff contenders like the 76ers, like the Warriors, and... It definitely makes me want to say that I want to buy stock in these Grizzlies, but I know that we're still a few years away from that truly coming to form. Uh, and I think the big thing to remember here is that while Jaron Jackson might be healthy and or 90% at the moment, uh, our coach Taylor Jenkins has pretty much confirmed that he's not going to play for a while because the future is more important right now to the Grizzlies organization. Uh, so with more and more games where Ja might not play and the possibility that this corona hiatus... Uh, has left them in a lurch. I am going to pretty much do the same as you. In fact, I might be even closer to selling while the Grizzlies are hot and high because it might look good that we're 7-6, and six, but we're six or seven games behind most teams right now. And when those games start catching up to us, I can't imagine we're still six in the West. I do like that position right outside the playoff race. Maybe we're the 10th, the 10th team in the West as a play-in team. Uh, but at the moment, I am between holding and selling. I'll stick to holding because they're my favorite team. Go Grizz, go. Well, listen, Rodo, I mean, you've watched this Grizzly team way more than I have this year. And hypothetically, if John Morant never got injured, which everyone wishes never happened because it's unfortunate for a player like Morant, who's so easy to root for and so fun to watch, to come down with an injury in just the third game, he was out from December 28th to January 16th. During that stretch, if he was healthy, how much better do you think the Grizzlies could be right now? I mean, they're 7-6. and six, 
without having him there for that two, two and a half week stretch. I mean, is it crazy to think that they could have a couple more wins than they do now if Morant had been in the lineup all this time? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, there's a few games you can pinpoint to where we lost by only a few possessions, uh, most notably the game at home versus the Lakers. Uh, it was supposed to be the big Marcus Saul game, finally coming home. We never got to see him as a Raptor, um, and it was exciting to see him now with the ring, but Morant wasn't there. The Grizzlies lost by two points. They follow up that game with a four-point loss to the Cavaliers uh, in a game where the toughest question was who's going to offensively compete with Colin Sexton, and you know who can compete with Colin Sexton? the guard that is a better version of Colin Sexton and John Moran. I definitely think that at least two to maybe three wins if you throw in an early loss to the Hawks, that uh, John Moran could have been the difference in the game. So, yeah, we definitely could be talking about a double-digit win team had Moran been playing in all of those games. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for sure. But it is going to be interesting to see, you know, now that they've had these five games in a row postponed thanks to COVID, if they, uh, if they lost any sort of momentum that they had back in mid-January when they were on that win streak. And uh, two games against the Spurs and then the Pacers and the Rockets. Not the easiest stretch in the world. So I think we'll learn shortly whether or not our decision to hold stock uh, was a good one. Yeah, and per basketball reference, they've actually played the second toughest schedule in the NBA, which uh, is is pretty impressive, again, to the point that they've gotten. Uh, grit and grind has been the motif in Memphis since the days of Mike Conley, since the days of Stromile Swift, since the days of Pau Gasol. And uh, defense reigns in the grindhouse, and it continues to do so. Absolutely love seeing it. Can't wait for a year from now when I start talking about when my Grizzlies are about to win an NBA championship, which is a story that might go the same way as a story of another Southwestern Division team uh, that had a great guard, a nice forward, that maybe just couldn't put the last piece together, hoping the Grizzlies don't end up that way. But sometimes it just takes trading some of your best players to really get the best out of your team, losing and seeing what you get out of that. And whether it's John Morant out for an injury or trading one of the greatest offensive players in the history of basketball to really get the best out of your offense, it could be the situation, as we've seen with the 8-9 and nine Houston Rockets, currently on a four-game win streak with some impressive down-to-the-wire wins over the Wizards and the Cavaliers and the Trailblazers. Uh, but this Rockets team is looking a lot better than I think either of us expected Sons James Harden. Uh, and the improvement that we've seen out of John Wall without playing basketball for two years and the improvement from Victor Oladipo has really turned into quite a promising NBA team. Uh, will it be an NBA team that makes the playoffs is pretty much up to anyone, Frank, but are you buying or selling on these Houston Rockets? Well, it's another team that's uh, kind of strange. I mean, it's a collection of, of players that a lot of teams didn't want, and they kind of threw, the, threw by the wayside. I mean, the Wizards moved on from John Wall. Nobody wanted to mark his cousins. Victor Oladipo kind of forced his way out of Indiana. And Christian Wood kind of was an afterthought in free agency. And the Rockets scooped him up at good value. We know how good he's been for them. Um, so with that being said, I think it's an easy team to root for because all those guys are in that situation. But I don't know if I would buy or sell stock in this team right now. I mean, they're one game below 500. Obviously, they're on a four-game win streak. They've been playing some inspiring, an inspiring brand of basketball, but at the same time, context is important. And two of the wins in this recent win streak came against the Pistons and the Wizards. In that Pistons game, they only won by one point. And then more recently against the Trailblazers, they squeaked out a three-point victory. And yes, they beat the Mavericks by 133 to 108, but given the level of competition that they've been playing recently, I wouldn't go as far to say that I'm locked in as on this Rockets team being a playoff contender in the Western Conference. And we both and I took the under 
on their projected win total before the season. I can I can concede that they'll probably still hover around being a 500 team for the next few weeks and maybe in to that eventual playoff race. But it's a strange team, and it's a team that's difficult to figure out. And you still don't know what the future holds for Victor Oladipo. And it seems like they're one injury away to potentially bottoming out and going on a, on a losing streak or two. Um, so I would hold stock in the Rockets for now. Uh, but Rotom, tell me why I'm wrong, or tell me why I'm right. Well, it's going to be the former of those two, Frank. You are actually absolutely right about exactly what you just said there at the end. Uh, they are one injury away. Uh, and unlike the Grizzlies, where the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th man on that roster have proven themselves as guys that can win games and go on winning streaks without the best player, the guys outside of John Wall, Oladipo, Wood, Gordon, Cousins, and maybe to some extent P.J. Tucker have been incredibly disappointing. And that was the lackluster part of them on this as a team with James Harden because they never really had any depth. But now that you don't have an all-time great at the two-guard position, you're really feeling that drop-off a lot more. Guys like Sterling Brown, Ja'Shawn Tate, Daniel House, Kenyon Martin. Uh, it hurts me to add this guy to the list, but Bruno Caboclo have really been disappointing this season anytime the Rockets don't have their starters on the court. And if John Wall, and you know, obviously hoping that doesn't come to it, but if John Wall gets hurt again, as he's done for five of the last seven years... For an extended period of time of a month or more obviously two of those years were just two full years out bless his heart bless his heart but this team is not going anywhere missing one of those two guards either Aladipo or wall and like you mentioned Aladipo is you know he just got one foot in the door into the rockets but he's still got one foot out the door it looking into miami uh and wherever else he might land so i i'm absolutely selling on this team because it's a nice little high I'm sure that win over Washington was big for John Wall. I bet his ego is up top right now. I feel like this win streak could go up to six uh, with not too many tough teams ahead of them. But once they start getting into the nitty-gritty of the season, when they still got to play the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, the Jazz, they're, they're ants. They're ants compared to those beasts. And I, I just can't see myself buying into this team that is really, not, not even an injury away, is a COVID scare away, is just a... Is just a scheduling away from falling off the face of the earth. So, yeah, I'm absolutely selling on this team. Yeah, I think I would fall closer to that side of the spectrum, uh, that being selling stock as opposed to buying stock. But their upcoming schedule, I think it is worth noting, uh, it's not particularly difficult, at least on the surface. I mean, they have a road stretch of the Pelicans this Saturday and then two games against the Thunder and a game against the Grizzlies, who we just talked about. Then they play the Hornets and Pelicans again, and then the Miami Heat. So at the very least, you could see them going 500, 500 at the worst during that stretch, which will keep them afloat and keep them alive uh, in that playoff picture heading to the halfway point of the season. Uh, so for that reason, it might be worth holding. But looking further down the line, and you basically hit the nail on the head, I think at some point in the future, they're kind of going to run. They're kind of going to run out of gas and. Uh, their lack of depth and talent at the top compared to some of the other teams uh, may prove too much to overcome. Yeah, uh, and you mentioned you took the under. I actually took the over on the Rockets because I thought the James Harden trade would take a little bit longer to happen. Um, I, I don't think I'm selling enough to not take that over anymore. I still see them as a team that's going to make the playoffs maybe through a play-in game. Maybe they're the ninth or the eighth seed. Hesitantly saying that, I think I still think the talent on the squad is good enough. 
Uh, but will that talent last all the way to the playoffs is uh, really the big question mark of the season. And also, getting into the last playoff spot in the West is great, but it sets you up with a date uh, against the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Jazz, who we just talked about. So that's a recipe for uh, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins going to Cancun early in the offseason. Yeah, uh, when while we're talking about Cancun, let's talk about some other teams that could potentially be dealing with the same fate because they've been uh, downright disappointing while we've had our upstarts uh, in GME, AMC, and all those guys flying up the stock ladders. When something goes up, Frank, some things must come down. Uh, and while we're already talking about some Southwestern teams like the Grizzlies and Rockets that are coming up, someone's got to pay the price. And it seems as if that price is being paid by Rick Carlisle and his record-setting Dallas Mavericks, who currently sit at 8-10, and 10, despite being favored as a top-four team in the West to start the season. Uh, they're not doing great, really, on either side of the ball. They are a below-average team on offense efficiency and a below-average team defensively. Uh, and no one outside of Luka Doncic has really looked impressive on this roster, Frank. Uh, are you buying or selling on this dropping Dallas stock? Well, I think the Mavericks have quietly been kind of disappointing. And this is maybe the biggest case of expectations coming into play, right? Because everyone heading into the season thought that Luka was the runaway frontrunner for MVP, that he was going to be a walking triple-double threat. And as a result, naturally, given how great Luka is and how great everyone thought he was going to be, I think it was easy to foresee at the same time the Mavericks would be good as well. And they're over-under for the season was set at 42 and a half. That was an over I felt confident in taking. But now, albeit we're only 18 games into the season, it feels like the Mavericks are closer to 500 than they are to being one of the best teams in the West, which is indicative in their record. And they're not getting blown out by teams. Their point differential is only minus 0.9. But they're not nearly as good offensively as we thought they were going to be. And yes, they didn't have Porzingis for a few weeks to start the season. But it feels like maybe we were blind to how great Luka was and how great we thought he was going to be this season. And, and because of that, we kind of overlooked some of the deficiencies uh, that exist on the rest of this roster. So I'm not sure if I'm entirely ready to sell stock in this team just because Luka is fantastic as an individual talent and he's someone that makes teammates better. And I still trust Rick Carlisle as an experienced head coach to kind of get this team back on track. But based on expectations, I would be ready to kind of sell stock as the Mavericks on the Mavericks being one of the top teams in the Western Conference, which at this point seems like quite a steep uphill battle for them to climb. Yeah, with 18 games out of the way, uh, it really did seem like for the first part of the season, yeah, they were just kind of coasting, waiting for guys like Christoph Porzingis, Josh Richardson, Dorian Finney-Smith to all come back. But it's been eight games since Christoph Porzingis has been back and it's not been a very appealing show, uh, and I think in most circumstances I would I would be willing to still buy. Um, they're just in a shooting slump, and as we talked about last episode, the Warriors, uh, a shooting slump gets broken. Look at the Warriors now. They are right in the middle of the playoff conversation, um, and that, that just has to happen. Like Josh Richardson coming back and Finney Smith coming back, especially in the last few days, uh, I think that, that'll definitely help out, but the, this team just can't be... Luka Doncic every single night and playing hero ball. And I think we were talking about this earlier before the podcast. This team feels exactly like the 2016-2017 Thunder with Russell Westbrook when he averaged a triple-double and won an MVP. 
And lo and behold, Luka Doncic, averaging 27.4 points, 9.4 rebounds, and 9.7 assists, is playing a lot like Russell Westbrook. The issue with that team is they didn't really do much in the playoffs, and I think the Mavericks are kind of going the same direction. Uh, their offense, which, again, we, we talked about it a lot last season, was historically the greatest offense the NBA has ever seen. Efficiency-wise, it's currently sitting at 20th, which is it's appalling. Uh, and it's making me wonder, especially since we just talked about the, the Rockets, was Steven Silas the big reason there? You know, Silas was a pretty unknown face mm. uh, in the NBA and got hired kind of surprisingly to be the coach of the Rockets. And here he is with a very talented Rockets team that's playing phenomenal defense and above-average de- offense and the team he left behind is kind of doing the opposite. So a lot of props to Steven Silas and potentially being a big factor in last year's historic team. Uh, but I think that guys like Josh Richardson and guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleber, who's only started three games, Kristaps, uh, again, you know, he does need a few games to get his stuff together. I think rookie Tyler Bay is... I, I don't know what Rick Carlisle is doing and not playing that guy because if they need three-point shooting, Tyler Bay was one of the best three-point shooters in college last year. I don't know why he's playing three minutes a game. And he was supposed uh, to be so their, their Steph Curry replacement, right? I mean, that was kind of the and idea. That That's exactly it. And you've got to imagine that Carlisle has something in the works there, but there needs to be some rotation movement. There needs to be figuring out who's best suited to play around Luka because at the moment we're seeing a very Terrence Ferguson, Steven Adams, Enos Cantor on his last legs – kind of lineup surrounding a guy that's going to average a triple-double, and you're getting so much production. Literally, a historic amount of production out of a guy who's still first in the in the MVP odds. Well, now he's he's tied for first, thanks to LeBron, but he, you can't just kind of waste that. And that's exactly what the Thunder did. It's exactly what Scott Brooks did, and look what Scott Brooks is doing now. If Rick Carlisle doesn't want to get remembered like Scott Brooks, he's got to do something, and he's got to do something quick. I think he will do that, and I'm buying stock in these maps. Yeah, and it's not an indictment on Luca being a selfish player by any means. I mean, the dude is averaging 9.7 assists, and we know he's one of the more talented passers in the NBA. But it's it's just an easy tendency when you have someone so good individually who can do so many things with the ball in his hands, it's easy for other guys on the floor to kind of just stand around and watch and wait for something to happen. And that was the issue with that Thunder team that you alluded to. And the Mavericks were able to overcome that last year. And the reason their offense was so good wasn't just because Luka was so great. It's because everyone else was constantly moving without the ball, getting open on the three-point line, backdoor cutting, and finding their way into the middle of the floor so that when Luka had the ball, he always had an outlet, always had somewhere to pass to. And I haven't watched a ton of Mavericks games this year, but from the limited sample size that I've seen, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And I would assume... That's one of the biggest reasons why their offense has kind of taken a nosedive. But, you know, Rodham, it's funny enough because their odds to win the Southwest Division are still minus 141. And right now they're fourth in that division, tied for third, actually, with the Rockets at 8-10. and 10. And the Spurs are 10-8, and eight, and the Grizzlies are 7-6. and six. So why do you think the Mavericks are still the favorite to win that division? Is it because Vegas is still betting on Luka and Carlisle to to kind of overcome this slow start? Or do you think that has more to do with the fact that nobody else in their division has really separated from the pack? Well, I think it's both of those. And unquestionably, Luka Doncic is the most talented player in that division. As much as I love John Morant, as much as Vegas loves Zion, the Spurs don't really have anyone to compete. And the Rockets have a good tandem. Bruno Caboclo. Wood. Uh, yeah, maybe Bruno Caboclo in, in four years, and then four years after that, Lonzo Ball. Be able to compete with Luka Doncic. Um, 
but uh, that's probably what Vegas is looking at, and it's a similar concept to those Thunder teams that did win one division. You know, they did it. Uh, the rest of the division just hasn't stood out. But at the moment, since we didn't talk about those other two teams, the Grizzlies currently sitting at plus 450 uh, to win that division. The Rockets sitting at plus one t- at 1,200. Uh, and then a team that we probably aren't going to get much more to talking about, but the Spurs are sitting at, who are sitting at plus 450, who I knew you were pretty high on to start the season and are being featured with, I think, a guy that should definitely be in conversation for most approved player. I know he's not really being named at, but Keldon Johnson, uh, a future NBA star, in my opinion, uh, definitely deserves that concept. And the fact that Greg Popovich, I would take over for Carlisle, I think has that advantage. Uh, but we'll have to see. I think the ball is in 100% in no one else's court but Rick Carlisle to get this team working like he did last year. And if it doesn't turn out, I think Steven Silas really deserves a pat on the back and saying that you were a bigger part of this than we had expected and that Raphael Stone, the GM of the Rockets, really made a good decision in finding his next coach. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we didn't talk about the Spurs, but they're another honorable mention for stock on the rise because as we're speaking, they just beat the Nuggets by 10 points, meaning... They're 11 and 8, which take, which places them tied for fourth place in the West. So shout out to Greg Popovich in the Spurs. Yeah, we both took the over. Just saying, never doubt the Spurs. Vegas might not like it, but never doubt the Spurs. Doubt them at your own risk, especially, especially in a COVID year. They were built for this. They were built for this. From the second that Greg Popovich was born, he knew. He knew this was coming. But you know what's, what's something that everyone had seen coming, except for apparently me, uh, the worst team in the Western Conference. And I know we've talked a lot about the West. We do have an Eastern Conference team to finish off this list. Uh, but we'll finish our last Western Conference tier with the 4-14 and 14 abysmal team of nothingness basketball, the Minnesota Timberwolves, led by Ryan Saunders, uh, who currently are, well, bad. 30th in net efficiency, 30th in net offensive efficiency, 27th in defensive efficiency, uh, they just don't do anything very well. Rookie Anthony Edwards has started off in a pretty slow start. Cat Carl Anthony Towns has been out and only played four games this season. D'Angelo Russell has missed quite a few games himself. Uh, so we're not really seeing the best of these Timberwolves. But Frank, do you anticipate when some of those guys come back that we'll be seeing any better? Or is this certifiably a bottom three team in the West? I think they're bottom three team in the West, bottom three team in the West, regardless of who's on the basketball court. And I know they started off the year 3-1 and one when Cat was in the lineup. And bless his heart, he's been out since then with COVID. Uh, hopefully he returns to the court soon for his sake. But even with Cat and D'Angelo Russell and all their other players on the court last season, what did we see from this team? They weren't good. They were one of the worst teams in the West. And now in a shortened season, already 18 games in, even if Cat returns and they have their and they have their full stable of horses on the court. I don't think those guys are good enough to lift this team up and to get them into that play, play in contention and to get them out of the bottom, the bottom seller of the Western Conference. Do I think they're four and fourteen bad with Carl Anthony Towns in the lineup? Probably not. Maybe their point differential isn't near minus double digits, but I still think they're bad, and I think it's that simple. And I wouldn't buy a stock in this team. I don't know how you could. I'm not buying the dip. Uh, I also wouldn't sell stock in this team. I, I don't want anything to do with any stock or anything that has to do with the Minnesota Timberwolves right now. And for that reason, I'm just going to pass them over to you so you can figure out what you want to do with it. Yeah, it, it's it's a tough breakdown on this one because 
this was a situation that no one had anticipated, but you're right, you know, even when they come back, is there really anything to be looking forward to with Carl Anthony Town on the floor and D'Angelo Russell? Because even those other players that we were hoping would make a big impact on the floor, like Ricky Rubio, like Juan Hunter, like Juancho Hernan Gomez, those guys have just been playing really dis- disappointedly. And Rubio, I think, is a big standout guy there because with D'Angelo Russell not playing, Ricky Rubio, the face of efficiency in basketball over the last three years for the Jazz and Suns, you'd imagine he'd be playing a big part, but he's averaging 24 minutes per game, barely even hitting six points per game. He's shooting 34% from the field and 18% from three. And he's never been a great shooter, but this is systematically a representation of just how bad this Mavericks team has been without any stars on the floor. And, you know, even with putting that star on the floor... Does this team really get better than the Pelicans, per se? The the Thunder? No. I, I hate to say it, but this is almost guaranteed to be the worst team in the West, and there's not really a way out here, uh, aside from maybe a new coach. And Ryan Saunders is obviously near and dear to the city of Minnesota with his father, Flip, leading them to their only playoff uh, positioning in, in quite a long time. But I think this team needs new direction. Um, both on the court and off the court. Uh, so I did take the over to start the season. I am no- going to continue with that. So I'm selling off my over, and I think it's pretty pretty easy to say that this team is going to be seeing that number one overall pick once again and maybe getting Anthony Edwards a friend. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a tough scene for the Timberwolves right now. And, uh, you know, if you're a Timberwolves fan, you still have Minnesota, right? I mean, you have the Vikings, I guess. You got them all in America. It's probably snowing up there. But other than that, uh, basketball-wise, not a not a great sight right now in that city. Yeah, not good at all. And uh, on that note, let's just let's just leave the Western Conference. Let's 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 let Minnesota feel bad on its own, uh, and go to a team that is going to be our only Eastern Conference team. But it's it's going to be a shock here. And Frank, I know this one's going to hurt to hear, uh, but our one Eastern Conference stock faller has to be the Miami Heat, the six and twelve. We're just in the NBA championship, Miami Heat. No, that being said, Jimmy Butler has not played in 10 games. Tyler Hero just came back for his first game the other night. They are getting their pieces back, but they are the third worst team in the league on offense. They are nowhere near the quality of defense they were playing last year. Uh, and of course, Jimmy Butler is is a big part of that. But Frank, this is this is a team this is a team close to your heart. I'm sure you've watched a few more games of them than I have, but they're on a five game losing streak at the moment. Uh, are you buying and selling this team that is currently very outside the playoff picture? Well, it's a difficult season uh, for the Heat, especially coming off that finals appearance to be six and twelve right now, thirteenth in the Eastern Conference, and as you mentioned, one of the worst teams in the NBA. That's a tough pill to swallow, and in a shortened season, getting off to a slow start. Uh, can be even more damaging than it would be in an 82-game season. The Heat obviously have some work to do to get back to 500, seeing as though they're six games below 500. Before the season, I took the over on their 44.5 projected win total. Given the circumstances they're in now, it seems like that is all but out of the picture. Um, But I do still think that the Heat have the talent and the coaching in the identity to be in playoff contention when it's all said and done in the Eastern Conference, to be somewhere in that six to 10 range to give themselves a fighting chance. And even though they are six and 12, like you said, 
they've been one of the teams that have been hit hardest by this whole COVID situation. I mean, their best player, Jimmy Butler, has only played in six games. Tyler Hero's played in 11 games, and Bam Adebayo's played in 16. But the, those three players, who are their three best players unquestionably, have not really all been on the court at the same time together for more than a few games earlier in the season. And I think the problem with this Heat team is, yes, they have some good depth and they have some good good bench players like Avery Bradley, Kendrick Nunn, Precious Achua, Andre Iguodala. Those guys are great bench players, but when you're asking them to take on consistent starter roles, it's going to put the Heat at a disadvantage, especially when they're replacing guys like Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero. So when Butler comes back and Hero and Adebayo remain on the floor, I think the Heat will be fine. I think they'll get back to playing uh, more like the team that we saw last year. So I wouldn't sell off stock just yet, but I'm definitely not buying them as being only the 13th best team in the East and the 27th best team in the NBA. I think at the very least, they're closer to being an average team uh, at the worst as opposed to being one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, uh, six and ten is definitely not where you're gonna finish the season, and it's it's a no means time to panic. But I think for people that were expecting this team to be among those fighting for another NBA championship, like me, I, I like you, I I just don't see it. You know, like this team has taken a step back in pretty much every scenario that it was good at last year. And obviously, you're absolutely right. You can't judge this team. I'm also holding. I don't think you can sell or buy on this team at the moment because, like you said. Three best players have not been on the court at the same time. That being said, Tyler Hero has played 11 games and has not looked like the player we saw in the bubble. Bam Adebayo has played 16 games and defensively has taken a massive step back playing against better bigs. And it's Jimmy Butler now in a similar situation to Christoph Porzingis in Dallas that's kind of going to be expected to pick up the role. And if there was any player in the NBA outside of LeBron James that I would say I would trust in being given the, uh, the, the job and obligation to make this team good again. Jimmy Butler is definitely on the top of that list. But their depth, that was also a strength, needs to kind of be fixed. Kelly Olynyk has surprisingly been one of my favorite bench players for them. And a guy like Andre Ugudawa, who needs to retire already, uh, now playing 20 minutes a game and barely hitting four points per game, uh, shooting less than... He's collecting that... He is just collecting that check. He's very... He's playing like Vince Carter on those Hawks team. He's shooting less than 30%. He's barely providing an assist. He's getting a few rebounds, which is nice, but that guy needs to retire and should not be starting five NBA games on the season. Uh, and I'm sure that Jimmy Butler coming back is going to alleviate a lot of that. Um, yeah, there's just I just don't think that there's a lot to say about this team and that until Jimmy Butler can come back, we can't really judge them fairly. But at the moment, terrible defense, getting destroyed at the three-point line. Bigs are taking advantage of Bam every advantage they can. There's gonna be a need. There's gonna be a need for Eric Spoelstra and Jimmy Butler to just sit down and really figure out what's wrong with this team. And if they can't do that, much like the Mavericks, I could see it happening, but I wouldn't bet on it. I don't think this team is top six in the East, and we'll probably be playing in a playing game. Yeah, I think that's within the cards. But on the optimistic side of the spectrum, uh, the upcoming schedule, in theory, should be a good avenue for the Heat to kind of get back on track because on Saturday they play the Kings. And then they have a pretty easy sched a pretty easy stretch of Eastern Conference opponents at the beginning of February, that being Charlotte, two games against the Wizards, two games against the against the Knicks, before going on the West to take on teams like the Rockets and Jazz. 
So over these next six or seven games, if the Heat aren't above 500 during this stretch, then I think it might be time to sound some some of the alarms. And the Heat will be on if that happens. But I do expect the Heat to uh, kind of get back on track. And if they do, it starts here over the next few games to begin February. Yeah, uh, and the Heat have played the fifth hardest schedule, uh, according to basketball reference. So they definitely are not in a great position to – have not been in a great position to be fairly judged. Uh, and, yeah, I'm absolutely excited to see where the future of this Heat team lies uh, but a lot of holds from you, Frank, today. Uh, not not playing in the stock market, are you? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people are taking some risks on the actual stock market these days. Uh, but you can crash and burn playing that kind of game. And when it comes to these NBA stocks, uh, I've learned that the hard way. So I, I think my best strategy here, just be kind of conservative for the time being before uh, jumping too far in and putting all my eggs in one basket. Well, Frank, you can crash and burn while I run and earn. Uh, but if before we keep going, you know, we finished off with all these teams. Uh, you know, some players are worth a mention here. We already talked about some award odds to start off with the Jazz. Uh, Clarkson, obviously the current number one for sixth man of the year at minus 125. Our pick, my pick currently for coach of the year at Quinn Schneider, plus 650. Uh, defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, plus 275. But a few other players that are definitely worth mentioning here, Frank. Uh, any notables for you? Well, I think when you look at the rookie of the year race, this was one of the more uh, uncertain award races heading into the season, just because without having a full off season and given the unprecedented unprecedented circumstances, we really weren't sure what to expect from this rookie class. And Lamelo Ball was the odds-on favorite to win the award, with the preseason odds right around plus four hundred, and now he's minus one eighty-two. And it makes sense because out of all the rookies, I think he's been the most impressive pound for pound. But he's filling up the stat sheets and obviously he's getting the most screen time out of all the rookies. Uh, he's fun to watch. But I will say that it's not James Wiseman or Anthony Edwards who I think could potentially challenge him for rookie of the year. It's Tyrese Halliburton, who now at plus 300 actually has the second best odds for rookie of the year. And I think Halliburton has quietly been uh, having a tremendous rookie season. He hasn't gotten a ton of love, given that he's playing out west for the Kings, who aren't on, who aren't on national television all that much. But Halliburton's been great up and down the board. 11 points a game, uh, 5 assists, 3 rebounds, but his efficiency has been especially impressive. I mean, he's shooting nearly 50% from the floor and 45% from three. It's not like he's only taking one or two threes a game. I mean, he's taking... Took seven threes against the Raptors, four threes against the Magic, seven threes against the Knicks a couple games ago. And it's hard for the Kings to keep him off the floor. He's averaging 28 minutes a game. But you can make an argument that right now he might be the Kings' second best player in terms of being an all-around basketball player right around De'Aaron Fox. So I'm not sure if Halliburton has what it takes to overcome Lamelo for the Rookie of the Year race given that the narrative and the screen time and the highlights are all in Melo's favor. But I think at plus 300, uh, Halliburton is kind of a sneaky choice for that award if he continues to play at the level that he does. Yeah, Halliburton's a great pick for that one. And uh, you were talking him up a lot to start the season, and I know you've been on the Kings for a little bit now. And, uh, you know, props to you for that one. But I definitely agree with you that this Lamelo situation, currently listed at minus 182, I, I just don't see it ending the season that way. Even if LaMelo's continues his great season, 
he's just the number one guy because he's the guy we think of right now for rookies. I think really any one of the rookies behind him, at least the, the nearest five behind them, Halliburton, Wiseman, Edwards, Cole Anthony, quickly, are the best. And for that reason, I think the guy you got to look at for the rookie of the year odds is the last guy there. It's Emmanuel Quickly. And obviously, Tom Thibodeau uh, is known for not playing rookies very much. He's known for playing his starters over 40 minutes a game. He has two of the top five minutes per game guys on the Knicks, being Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. But quickly, who's only playing 20 minutes a game, pretty much, uh, has been incredible. Uh, 10 points per game, 1.9 rebounds, 2.5 assists is not screaming off the page. Uh, but in the last four games, he's averaging 15 points per game, uh, 3 rebounds, and 6 assists, including a career-high 31 points uh, against Portland, pretty much going 1v1 versus Damian Lillard, including 21 points in the fourth quarter. Incredibly efficient stuff, and I think the moment that Thibodeau decides to flip that switch and make him a pretty consistent starter, and when he starts getting the Thibodeau treatment of 35 to 37 minutes per game, I think those stats are going to jump massively uh, to a position where he'll be very easy to contend with. And I think this is more of a pick of, I see his stock rising more than I see him actually winning this award, but currently, plus 1,600, uh, that number is going to shrink and shrink and shrink until he is top three, I think, by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, at plus 1,600, uh, I would definitely say it's worth the flyer. And a guy like Quickly, the advantage he might have in this race is having the New York media. Because playing in Madison Square Garden uh, under those bright lights, even without any fans, uh, it's still an advantage for a lesser-known player like Quickly, who, you know, if he has highlight plays and he's putting up numbers, he's going to get noticed. That's something that I think Halliburton uh, doesn't necessarily have the advantage of. But what's interesting now, Rodham, is we talked about Lamelo, we talked about Halliburton, and we've talked about quickly. The three guys we like the most for this Rookie of the Year award are, oddly enough, all coming off the bench. So maybe whichever one becomes a starter first might have a leg up when it's all said and done. Yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that race continues. Rookie of the Year, probably more interesting this year than it has been in quite a long time. Obviously, no stars at the top, but... A lot of really good players in this year's draft turning out to be, you know, outside of those guys we've already mentioned, you know, Peyton Pritchard for the Celtics. Danny Avdia uh, for the Wizards hasn't been playing a lot. Obi Toppin also for the Knicks. Isaac Okoro has been a huge part of the Cavs playing defense this year. Uh, you mentioned Preston Sachua earlier. It's It's been a phenomenal rookie class so far. It definitely has kind of flown under the radar, which again, I think that relates back to the fact that there was no March Madness and there wasn't a full college basketball season. So a lot of these guys are are kind of unknown to the average basketball fan. So if you haven't been paying attention to guys like Pritchard and Precious Achua and other players that you out, that you listed, uh, it might be time to start tuning in because this is a this is a talented crop of rookie players. Yeah, uh, and it's you know it's becoming a lot of must watch television to see some of these guys. And uh, while not having the well, not having much madness like you mentioned, the season, not having summer league, I bet has been huge. Uh, those rookie camps getting time to get together with their teammates uh, has hindered a lot of them because, like you mentioned, none of these guys are really starters uh, aside from Wiseman, who just got rele relegated back to the bench. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting to see how the new fresh crop of teams are going to do uh, to maybe get to the very top of some of these other awards, including the Most Valuable Player Award, where, Frank, I think you have a tip on a player that you think has good value at the moment. Absolutely. And that player is somebody who you know and who everybody else knows, because he's been in the headlines this year for all the right reasons. And that's Joel Embiid. And before the season, 
We kind of talked about Joel Embiid's MVP odds a little bit. We mentioned it on the Stock Report episode last, a few weeks ago. Uh, his odds were all the way down close to plus 3,000, I want to say. And now, 18 odd some games into this season, he's at plus 550. And he's a He's a very close third behind LeBron and Luka. And I dare say that Embiid should be the front runner for MVP right now. I know he's third in the odds, but you can't discredit the tremendous season that he's putting together. And we know, we've known for the past several years that Embiid always had the talent, that he always had the ability to become this type of player. We know how talented he was, but between the Sixers underperforming and Embiid's conditioning being off and injuries, he wasn't able to stay on the floor. Things like that hindered his ability to truly vault into that MVP conversation. But Rodham, I dare say, he's kind of putting it all together right now. And the Sixers are winning. They're the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. So plus 550 with a guy averaging 20, 28 points, 11 rebounds, 55% from the field and 40% from three, along with a steal and a block. I don't see how Embiid shouldn't be considered the front runner for right now shouldn't be considered the front runner at this moment. And at plus 550, seems like a good bet to me. Yeah, and the NBA MVP conversation is always more concerned about what the V means to a team, I think, more than any other league uh, award, you know, with the NFL, with the MLB. I feel like it's a lot more about who really was the best player of the season. Uh, with the NBA, I feel like the argument really is a little bit more about who's valuable. So, you know, you talked a lot about what he does on the court, but when Joel Embiid's off the court and is not playing, this is an awful team. This is a team that not only has lost to the Grizzlies, has lost to the Pistons, has lost to the Hawks. They've lost to a lot of really bad teams without Joel Embiid. In fact, they are 0-4 without him in the lineup, and they're averaging 12 less points per game and allowing 17 more points per game without him in the lineup. There is not one single player who is more influential or, dare I say it, more valuable to a team right now than Joel Embiid. And at plus 550, I would 100% agree with you. This guy should be the front runner, And not just by he should be tied with Luka and, jo and LeBron. This guy should be the front runner by about plus 200, I would say. Uh, and so, you know, get it while it's hot because his stock is the hottest of them all. Yeah, I think now it... it... I think now is the time to buy into that plus 550. I can't see those odds getting any worse than they are right now. And I get why LeBron is the front runner at plus 400. He's quietly having a tremendous season again. And the Lakers are, the Lakers are one of the best teams in the West. It's a little surprising to me that Luka is still ahead of Embiid in this race. And I know how good Luka is and he's almost averaging a triple double. But we talked about how the Mavericks are eight and 10, two games below 500, whereas the Sixers are the cream of the crop in the Eastern Conference right now. And Embiid is putting up similar numbers to Luka, impressive numbers in his own right. So I can't imagine that Embiid doesn't jump Luka at some point in the odds or at least ties him around plus 500. Seems to be heading in that direction. And I just hope for the sake of this conversation and for the sake of just watching Embiid play basketball, that he stays healthy. Because again, that's been the story throughout his entire career. But it seems like whatever he did this offseason, in terms of conditioning, in terms of dieting, uh, it seems to be working. And I hope that it continues. Absolutely. And uh, before we finish talking about the NBA, and uh, specifically for the MVP, uh, the place where I usually usually get my uh, MVP statistics does happen to come from the NBA. 
uh, where the guy that reports most heavily on the MVP, uh, one Mr. Seku Smith, did just tragically pass away. Uh, quick note to that. Uh, rest in peace to Seku, probably one of the best NBA reporters out there. Uh, and that is uh, really tragic news specifically around that MVP. And uh, I'm sure that'll be uh, a big thing when they award that. But uh, really tragic stuff. Um, and a rough note to finish on there. Uh, but Frank, if we may, uh, we do got to finish this one up. We talked about the best stocks. We talked about the best players, the best teams. And it's time to talk about the best podcast, which is, of course, us. Uh, and you can find that out more and more stuff from us at Play It Pod, both on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh you can find me at Rodem Kaufman and Frank. Where can listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at FrankJP0. And again, say it all the time. Uh, I do encourage the listeners to check out the Instagram. Rodem's pumping out some great daily artistic content. Check out the Twitter. We've got some daily college basketball bets, some Super Bowl props on the way. And of course, Rodem, I'll leave you with this quote from Cheryl Sandberg. If you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat it is. Just get on and live to tell the tale. Yeah, and we'll live to tell the tale from you next week about more NBA content. Of course, rest in peace, Mr. Seku Smith. See you next time. Mm-hmm.